This is Coda Radio, episode 536, recorded on September 12, 2023. Hey friend, welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. Over there, sharpening his microphone as we prepare, it is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. I'm ready to lose my train of thought. Good. Good. That'll make it a great episode then. I mean, as long as you got a sharp microphone, that's all we care that's about. That's all you need. <laughs> the, the sharper, the better, really. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to go podcasting with a dull mic. No. I'll tell you what, I got to pack mine. I'm in the road. Oh. Yep, we're pre-recording. Uh, I'm traveling on our regular recording week, and then I think actually you have some travel a little bit after that, so we'll be doing another set of doubles when we do get back. But it's the wife's 40th. So Happy birthday. The big four zero. I don't know if she's okay with me telling her telling everybody. I was that, gonna but. say that sounds like a recipe for the couch. Yep. Yeah. I'm gonna take her to Crater Lake, amongst other places. We're actually gonna do a little RV tour of distilleries and breweries where they like let you park your RV there and you come in and get yourself a meal and sample some of the local, you know, creation and uh, spend a night or so there. And then you head up and you do another one. And we're going to do a series of those down through southern eastern Washington into Oregon and eventually end up at Crater Lake. Never been. But, you know, I think it's a lake made out of a big asteroid based on the name. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's a space lake. That seems kind of romantic, right? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if I pull it off. I'm going to have to do a little work from the road, but I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to cut it down. Listener Joe wrote in with his thoughts regarding uh, funding more open source development. He writes, In regards to helping fund more open source developers, I think the federal government has policies to allow for tax rebates on corporate taxes if companies support or donate to open source. It would at least, if they did this, be a step in the right direction. Perhaps open that while closing the loophole here or there. You do that in the same tax year. If open source developers could be treated as valid charity without having to get approval beyond proof from their license and open repository, then corporations could base their donations with proof of code and they could start supporting open source and get a tax deduction. It would allow for incentive to donate to be done without immediate cost or deficit. It would also help incentivize younger developers. Kind of seems clever, Mike. I mean, I don't know about the red tape around how you could prove that, you know, it's a, cause I'm sure the whole char- the charity stuff is really, really tricky and the nonprofit stuff. But assuming you could somehow clear up the red tape to make this possible, this seems like a system that would actually generate results and wouldn't require the government printing more money. You have far more faith than I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's never going to happen, is it? Yeah. It, 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 it feel, I mean, it, it's a great idea, but it it's, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. It seems like it seems unlikely that uh, we would see the, uh, um, I guess, cooperation needed in Congress to make something like that happen. Hey, check out this next one. Uh, listener KP got a real nice note from Oracle, quote unquote, nice. Uh, he says, "I just got this via LinkedIn today. Is this what you are all talking about regarding Java licensing shakedowns?" My first instinct was to think they were trying to get a foot in the door for selling Oracle DB stuff, but then after hearing about the shakedown story on Code Radio, it gave me some pause. Now, here's the note. So the sales gal reaches out, Hey, I'm part of a specialized team that targets accounts Oracle's leadership is particularly interested in building relationships with. 
We strongly believe there's a huge opportunity for us to grow together, and we want to discuss the potential of finding alignment with, and then the company name, would it be ridiculous for us to meet for 15 minutes next week for an introduction? Please let me know your availability. Would it be ridiculous? Like, oh my God, are you going to the dance too? The, the, the thing we heard from people was it starts with a really innocent just sales reach out that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with license compliance. I just want you to know I did just look at the image of this message and I'm avoiding being canceled. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you what, man, this feels like KP but, almost just got sucked into the Oracle honey trap, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh well you said it. Yeah. Um hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pharmaceutical sales, enterprise software sales, there's a certain profile that you tend yes. to see. Yes. Yes. Uh and it's it's interesting because if it's true, it means they're continuing and expanding their licensing crackdown. And then there was a there's a question that I saw come up in the .NET subreddit. And I kind of wanted to bounce it off you, and then I also wanted to get a little bit of a temperature from the audience if they would uh, chime in with their thoughts. And the question is, why isn't .NET Core popular among startups? Uh, the author writes, is there any specific reason why startups, at least here in India, don't tend to use .NET for backend, especially now that .NET is open source and cross-platform? My primary source for this observation is the LinkedIn job section, where most of the opening in startups required Java or Node.js for every level role. Especially, what benefits does Java have to prefer it above, say, .NET? I'm not mentioning Node.js here as it's understandable. I think it's more easy to get started with, and the same language can be used to make a front end. But why not more .NET out there? Um, I mean, I, I can't speak to India, but I doubt it's really any different, right? Because it's such a, you know, the nature dev nerd culture is pretty much global. I think it's just almost like a style thing. Let's rewind the clock 10 years and .NET was proprietary and the tooling was expensive. I mean, have you heard of Telerec? They have a whole business based on selling you proprietary .NET widgets. Um, I think they do some React too now though, but still. I I just I think it's a culture thing, right? Like I I am sure we're going to get emails in Chris from people being like I just started a startup and we're doing .NET and you suck and that's fine. Right? Cool beans. I would say in the gaming world, lots of people are doing .NET. They're just doing it in the form of Unity. Yeah, I think it really is just a culture thing. I mean, what, what, where would you go with this? Well, I wonder if the quote-unquote fossness of .NET is still shifting, right? There's mm. that legacy Microsoft culture. And when, so when you think of when you're – I mean, not to be an ageist again. I hate that I'm doing this for the second episode in a row. But if you're younger – you probably tend to skew with more of the flashy stuff that is just pure open source from the beginning, a lot of the, a lot of the JavaScript stuff, right? And that's going to be kind of maybe your, maybe your engineering courses are going to be around JavaScript or maybe your, you know, your developer milieu is really focused on JavaScript. .NET feels more like a tool of the professional and the realm of the long-term professional developer who's building software that's going to be run and maintained at a corporation for a long time. Where that's not really, I think, where a lot of startups are focusing initially. And so they're not really focused on that stack, I suspect. Well, you know, there is an element of fashion, too. Now that I think about it, right, when I was, like, starting out after my initial foray into iOS, uh, Rails was the sexiness for, like, backends and admin portals and stuff like that. And I think that's not true anymore today. People would be doing, I guess, Node. Closure, if you're Wes. Yeah. 
I guess I'd, I'd like to know if, if that's the take the audience has. Maybe they could do a little temperature check too. And maybe it's just it's too hard compared to other options. Mm. <laughs> could be as simple as that. But I felt like that was an interesting question. I've wondered it myself because, you know, it's been a while now since they've open sourced it. And it has shifted things. Things have shifted for the better. But it hasn't been a landslide. And uh, why, I think is the question. You can let us know by boosting in if uh, you get a new podcast app, a new podcast apps.com or GitAlby. Then keep your app, GitAlby.com, top it off, and then visit us on the podcast index and find Coda Radio, and you can boost in. A portion of that boost goes directly to our editor, Drew, the Fountain FM developers, Podverse, JB, myself, and more. We'll get to more boosts later on in the show, but of course, you can also become a member at CoderQA.co. We have a new Coderly out there for you. It supports the show, and you also get a limited ad-free version of the show, if you'd like. With no ads in there, just nice, lean, mean, Drew's nice touches. It's out the door to you. All right. Let's talk about one of our favorite ongoing topics, one that we touched on in the Coderly with some new insights too, which I'll save for there. But another work from home hoopla. Over half of Grindr's employees have quit in response to the work from home policy change. I just want you to know I have so many jokes and I am not making them. <laughs> I am above that, okay? I am not going to anonymously make some sort of humorous event uh, in a bathroom stall or outside of a nightclub. I am not going to do that. Because you know what? I'm working from home. I don't need to go downtown. I'm working from home, as is my God-given right. No matter where you are, who you are, who you love, working from home. I stand with Grinder. In fact, dare I say, I grind with Grinder. I have no idea what that means, and I cannot wait for the YouTube comments. Grinder management abruptly demanded employees return to the office at least two days a week in Chicago, Los Angeles, San Fran, and that resulted in a 46% staff resignation. I feel like uh, maybe that was stupid, <laughs> right? Like I, I, I wonder, or, or, yeah, I got a little bacon for you. This is uh, this is bacon right out of Chicago. I think. This was a gentleman's layoff because the, the other thing that's ha- the other thing that's happened recently is they unionized. Mm. They unionized. They they enshrined the work from home stuff. There was also I don't know the details because I didn't follow it very closely, but semi recently there was a really big issue with their LGBTQT plus employees who found the certain relocation requirements they also introduced to be insensitive and. Uh, required them to move to, quote, challenging political environments uh, that jeopardize their support networks. And so they also pushed back. So you have a group that is unionized and enshrined the work-from-home policies. You have another group that's saying specifically your relocation policies are hostile to uh, us. And then, of course, you have other folks that are just like, you just did a rug pull on us because you told us we could work from home and now you can't. So it resulted in a 46% quitting. But I'm thinking that was a cleaning house move. Also, it's grinder. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ha- you know, of all the app companies that you would think would be very plugged into that sensitivity, right. yeah. you would think they would be number one, frankly. And it's probably, uh, as a result, a representative size of their employee base. So so basically, you think this was like a sleight of hand move, right? So you're, you're saying that they... I think well, the, tell, the tell is that that sort of after the union stuff... After the employee upset stuff, then you do the the immediate announcement with the hard line requirements. 
I think that is a that's a filter screen where you're filtering out people because the other way you do it, and especially if you're trying to be sensitive to these particular concerns, is a slowly evolving staged kind of rollout thing, right? Where you're listening, it's an evolving process, it's a conversation, it's not just this hard wall must do or there will be repercussions, you're fired. And then they give them like the, but if you want, you know, we do have this exit package we'll make available to you, right? You combine all those elements together and it feels like a gentleman's layoff. But, but, but to be clear, we don't believe, right? We have no evidence to suggest that they are offering any kind of exit package. It yeah, sounds like the folks who quit are just quitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so another daddy in this situation is the the new CEO of Amazon, who I, I don't know if you saw this, but Marlon Brando and Godfather One Style said it'd be a shame if you kept working from home. <laughs> Something might happen to your career. Yeah, yeah. This seems like a Zuckerberg is now demanding they go in three days a week. Are we going to lose this glorious battle that we won? <sighs> yes. To a degree, I think we are in the corporate world, in a large corporate world. Yeah. Because here's the other narrative that I've been hearing build all summer long. And this is so we'll take the boss's side for a moment, right? Because you and I have really kind of over time, we've evolved to the worker's position here. You mean the chief grinder, the grinder in chief, the daddy, if you will. I'm going to stop going. This guy writes, uh, San Diego, he says he tells stories about technology and tech hardcore machine learning at ML.school. He says, I fired somebody for cheating. He was working two jobs. He had a great interview. He was sharp. Two weeks later, though, I started noticing some red flags. He joined meetings, but he'd never turn his camera on. He'd always ask us to repeat a question. He was cagey. I met with him twice, and I felt like he should be further along than he was. Around that time, I stumbled upon the idea, and here's the key word, everybody. Overemployment. Overemployment. Overemployment, a whole movement dedicated to helping people work several full-time jobs at once. Seems not viable. He, sees, he says, feel free to Google overemployed. It's wild. I got suspicious. The guy had recently joined the team. I'd asked him for reference from his previous job. I said, he shouldn't worry about it. It's routine diligence. But his answer, it, it sealed the deal for me. He got defensive. He asked me to meet him so he could clear up any issues with his performance. His reaction had just come out of left field. He promised to share with me some references by the end of the day. But he didn't. I asked the same thing the next morning, and he also forgot. I confronted him one last time, and he came clean. Turns out he'd never quit his previous job. He was still working full-time for them and for me. By the looks of it, we were getting the short end of the stick. I asked for his resignation. We had him on the payroll for about three weeks. I felt cheated. I didn't care about the money. I had to start looking for someone else. I had rejected many good candidates to hire this guy. I went on Reddit, and there are thousands of people doing this. Some of them work three or four full-time jobs. This was a painful experience, but I don't blame people for working for more than one company at once. But can somebody really do more than one job well? And it's called overemployed. Work two remote jobs and reach financial freedom is what the community is pitching. And it's an actual little community that's formed. I have many, many questions. How is this not like fraud, right? Like theft of services or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. It probably depends on the laws in each state. Well, and, but but there's a legal way to do this. You'd be a contractor, right? You could have like multiple yeah. contracts and you like, that's what I do all the time. You work on them. You know, you try to set expectations. But if you can't, you know what I just realized? I did this once long, long, long time ago before really? I was full time. Yeah. Before I was full time podcasting, I got a really early remote job because I was just maintaining some Linux web servers. And uh, I really only had to do something when the developers had something new to push. But it was a job and it gave me health benefits. 
And so I could do some IT contracting and I could do that job pretty easily because a lot of it was all remote from my desk. That's not the same. Kind of is, though. No, because it's not, though, because, OK, so that's like saying you you had a job and you had like well, literally like a, an Upwork or 1099 gig, I'm sure it was was better. Yeah, OK. Yeah, you're right. That's not two W-2s. Like two W-2s where they expect you available, you know, regular business hours and you're literally just like have two laptops on your desk or you're tabbing between, I don't know, two Slack channels. I, I feel like this is the kind of thing that you can't get away with. Well, it, felt, it sounds to me stressful. You know, it sounds like balancing, that's a lot. One job's a lot to balance. Two jobs. I guess you have to nail a job where you don't need, like it only requires a few hours of your of your time each day, perhaps. Yeah, okay, but then at that point, why not just be a contractor and like, if you know you can do the project super quick, just do like an inflated fixed bid and make a decent, you know, a really thick profit margin on that. Probably because they, they've always been W-2, so this is their system they know, maybe. I mean, there's benefits. You know, you get health benefits. You get the tax stuff is a lot simpler. Well, that's the thing. Are you are you double dipping in healthcare somehow? So do you pick like which doctor you're going to who's health? Yeah, you benefit? pick. No, you pick the company that has the better plan, and then you pass on the company that has the bad plan. <laughs> you get to you get to uh, shop. This, this <laughs> so, okay. So I like we were we were making fun of like the the employers on you know being jerks about this. This kind of Santiago's right. This kind of crap has got to go. This is. I guarantee you, there's somebody or multiple somebody's listening right now. They're doing this. Well, then my my advice to you is I want to hear from them. We want to hear from you definitely write in anonymously. Why why I guess my question is why not just open, you know, Joe Blows LLC, right? Why Well, you know, for one, it's like recruiters don't really call go looking to fill well they do. They do. But you know, if you think of the process, maybe you get contacted. Well, that's true. It's easier. You know, yeah, it's easier. I mean, that's at least that's what I'm thinking. Maybe I'm missing something, but I'm thinking it's easier. And then if you lose one job, if you get fired at one, you still got a full-time W-2 job. Uh, it's uh, I've never heard of that before. That's super sneaky. Yeah, it is. It does seem sneaky, and it, it, feels, it feels unfair to the employer. Well, it, you know what scares me? This kind of story is the kind of thing that you know, the, uh, the bigwigs are going to use to say work from home has to end. That's what I'm saying. That's why I brought it this up. Is the night, it, honestly, Santiago was dealing with the nightmare scenario here. Yeah, but that's, this term is going to get co-opted by the you, you got to work at the office group and this is going to be one of the reasons and they're going to every example they're going to probably amplify and claim that you know it's a big problem they got to set an example i shouldn't i can't go into details but i'm pretty sure this happened to me about two years ago yeah i think it, i mean i think it's common I, I just fired the person yeah yeah that, man but if the person's really good and the position's really hard to fill it's like you got to try to convince them even though they've been cheating on you, you got to convince them to stay with you and drop the other person in some scenarios, I imagine. We both know that we shouldn't be here. Yeah. This is wrong. Anyway, speaking of wrong, Google's yes. baking ad user ad tracking directly into Chrome. Well done, Draco. Well done. This is amazing. It is the definition of a Trojan horse because Google is not only – they're calling it a privacy sandbox, which is ironic, right? It's like calling the Inflation Reduction Act – the Inflation Reduction Act, but it is also being wrapped up in a new GUI. So they're focusing everything on the new Chrome GUI. You can personalize the new Chrome GUI. Look how great these new features are for our interface. But under the hood, inside this GUI Trojan, is this privacy sandbox that will essentially keep track of all the pages you go and generate a list of advertising topics that you might be interested in and then helpfully share it whenever a website 
S. And of course, this is because Safari and Firefox have started doing third-party cookie blocking. And Google makes all of its money from advertising. This is why they built Chrome. And so they're punting on third-party cookie blocking. They claim, you know, maybe second half of 2024, presumably after this privacy sandbox gets fully adopted, right? They'll roll out third-party cookie tracking because they've solved it here. And so they're, they're, it's um, probably what? A matter of a day before a privacy expert figures out how to start identifying people based on the information the sandbox reveals? Oh, because that's the whole point, right? Yes, I, of course. It, <laughs> yeah, it's, Especially, no doubt, combined with the data that Google has about you on their end. I mean, it's a, they're going to make an obvious match there. So the Google ad platform is going to be really benefiting from this. Right. This is yet another effort to get away from uh, the Apple, uh, uh, what is it, app tracking acknowledgement, whatever yep. they call that system. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I just don't like this. I, I'll tell you what I don't like about it is it's going to work. It's going to work. Well, it's going to work. And at this point, you've, if, you're, if you're bothered by Google's stuff like this, you've already left Chrome. It's true. And otherwise, people are going to just keep using it. I, you know, and I would I would sit here and go, well, maybe Edge is a better a better option or something like that. But uh, Monday, Monday morning, I get in and I open up Edge because um, Firefox started crashing on my main workstation, so I switched over to using Edge as my primary browser on that system. And I fire up Edge and I get the your account has had a security incident and you have been signed out. We'll Please see. log in and go fetch your phone, good little boy, because you must be tethered to your phone at all times now in order to use any of these modern services. So go fetch your phone, good little boy, and go get the code we've sent you so we can verify it's really you because your account has some sort of security issue. And I can't use the browser. It's all signed out. It's just, okay, so I guess I get up, go back downstairs, get the phone, come up, give them the code. Okay, you're all good to go with no information about what happened, just some generic help page. So I'm just left there wondering, like, did somebody just try to hack my account? I don't know what just happened. Why did I have to go through this rigmarole? You have no, like, you're not even going to give me, like, somebody tried to log in from this IP. You give me nothing after that. So you just scare the crap out of me. You completely disable my ability to use the software. You make me go fetch my phone like a good little boy, answer your little ga- your little game, dance through your hoops, and then I get no information on the other side. That's the edge experience for me this week. Yeah, that's that's super annoying. And I'm sure there's some benefit to them to tying you to your phone. Oh, yeah. You oh, know? yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so... so <laughs> uh, and this is, this, is the, this is the dark path we go down with Google being an ad empire that controls the largest browser and also the largest code base that most browsers are based off of. Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there to get Tailscale for free for up to one hundred devices. It's a great way to support the show. And you can really build out a useful Tailscale network with 100 devices. Tailscale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard's noise protocol. Each machine will connect to each other. Tailscale provides some magic infrastructure to do the authentication, to pop into whatever like two-factor and OAuth system you might have for your existing enterprise, or you can use a single sign-on system as an individual user like I do. And uh, Tailscale is sort of like um, if you were going to build a VPN today, right? If you're going to build a VPN today with all the technology we have, everything we've learned about VPNs, you'd solve the stuff that sucks about VPNs. Like if you're an enterprise, VPN appliances. 
Oh, man, I used to manage a checkpoint VPN appliance with, like, dedicated proprietary encryption cards that were, like, $12,000 and had a yearly $10,000 support contract. I'm not even kidding you. And this is for, like, a 1,000 people. (laughs) Enterprise VPN solutions have been bad since day one, and they really haven't gotten much better. Tailscale flips the table because they let the WireGuard stuff do the hard work of encryption and protection. Of course, that's open source. We love it. And then they bring it together with their mesh technology, their authentication backplane, and then they're tooling like their ACLs and Tailscale SSH and Tailscale Send and all the tools that you can use to really bring everything together. And speaking of that, Tailscale has recently partnered with Mulvad. Yeah, the VPN folks. And now you can use Mulvad's network of really high-speed global servers as exit nodes for your tailnet. This is going to be so powerful. I'll link it in the show notes because you got to go check it out or go look at their Twitter feed. They've got details at twitter.com slash tailscale as well. Tailscale is just the best way to bring your machines together. Doesn't matter if it's mobile. Doesn't matter if it's a VPS, a VM, or a container. Tailscale is the easiest and quickest way to get them all connected and create a mesh network between them across data centers, across architectures, across device types. It's really powerful. And now I'm like all in, man. I've built my work infrastructure on Tailnet. I've got my personal infrastructure on Tailnet. I've even got my kids on Tailscale. So that way I can securely connect to their machines and all of us can share resources on our private Tailnet. It's really great. It'll change the way you network. Tailscale.com slash coder. Get it for free for up to 100 devices and you support the show. Tailscale.com slash coder. Well, the PC users out there, I mean, I'm, I'm not really even very active in this area. And I have seen a bunch of upset folks on Starfield shenanigans, a bunch of really unoptimized performance, uh, all kinds of basic programming faults. Have you followed this drama at all? Yeah, so I'm going to burn through this pretty quick because the only reason I threw this in the notes was I can't confirm this, but there's a lot of smoke here. There's a lot of bacon smoke. So the Starfield developers had a deal with AMD, which the uh, GPU chips in the PS5 and the Xbox are both AMD. There's a sad little truth that the Xbox X and PS5 are effectively like the same, or they're very similar. There are differences. Don't email me, but okay right and it's like run runs best on amd but apparently the pc version is noticeably gimped on nvidia and intel so what the hell well they people complain you know the sleuths of reddit are looking at the memory allocations they find a bunch of programming faults particularly on nvidia and the tech gaming press for what that term means uh, went to Todd Howard, the head of the studio, and he's like, just get a better PC. Which, oh, okay, okay, sure. I mean, I don't know. Hey, Rich Lobster, right? Good work. Yeah, like, yeah, all right. Problem solved. What's problem the problem? Solved. Yeah. <laughs> That's the mic solution to the problem. I, I, I agree. Uh, of course, that only inflames the community more. And, well, I'll just read it. So Ven writes on Weapon X. That Starfield allocates memory incorrectly, abuses execute indirect, which is, you know, who cares, and creates multiple blah, 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 execute indirect calls. Yeah, instead of batching calls, it creates multiple execute indirect calls. This is what gets weird. While it is, well, it might not be optimized for the PC, it will be optimized for Linux. <laughs> I love that Van got this. Yeah, 
I think it's like a patch of the proton la- layer. Right. They're just. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's at, yeah. It's at the VK 3D proton layer is where they're going to fix it. <laughs> so just nice work, Linux community. I don't even know what to say. It, 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 it almost completely flips the argument of an emulation layer on its head. When the Steam Deck was announced and Valve made it clear that Proton would be sort of the predominant focus for developers, that's what you target is the Valve Play, Steam Play stuff, which is Proton and Linux, and don't necessarily need to port your whole game over, developer, just make it work with this. And that was their real pitch when they launched the Steam Deck, and a big conversation in the Linux community after that was, well, oh no, are we going to have a crappy experience if we don't get native games? And if they're just always porting Windows games, we're always going to be second you know second class citizens and yet i think what we're actually seeing is that games are in such crappy state because it's so complicated now that a layer like proton can actually be used to catch stuff that the developers don't fix directly themselves (laughs) which i guess that's a good thing seems like it gets a little uh hairy uh at scale when you start doing this for lots of games I mean, you know, there were some folks on the subreddit uh, frying some bacon about this. I, I don't think this is like an intentional hobbling of the game on Intel and NVIDIA. I think what's more likely is they had some metrics they had to hit for AMD as part of their co-marketing deal. And, you know, it's the classic over-optimization problem, right? They, they super-optimized for AMD and in that process made some uh, decisions that disadvantaged NVIDIA and Intel, right? Is this not always the problem if the game developer is primarily targeting game consoles? This is like when you're, it's the difference between building for a specific platform and building for a general platform. Well, and like also PS5 is basically a BSD system. So that's already running on some form of Unix. Uh, The Xbox X is a Windows 11 system, but it is a pure AMD machine. Yeah. Yeah, and so if you're, you know, if you're doing testing and you're doing quality assurance on those systems, it's not a surprise that it's going to suck bad on the Nvidia. I mean, that's unfortunately the truth. Sometimes they fix these things up. Uh, I actually haven't, even, I haven't even checked out Starfield yet. But hey, now that I know that it's getting patched through Proton, <laughs> I haven't. Mortal Kombat comes out on Friday, and I am very excited. Oh, well, I was excited just because I like the fraud and Schweider of it that uh, we got some rough early estimates. I'm going to underscore estimate of the water that is consumed Ooh, by yeah. chat GPT when you ask it a question. And um, I raised this before uh, I speculated because I've noticed that if you are signed into Bing, which I am now, now that I'm signed into Edge, and you do a Bing search, basically every search is also run through the open AI API and comes back with a generative response along with your search results takes it forever and I almost always click on a result before it's done generating it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking not only is this now all of the CPU and data center overhead that makes search possible, but now we're also adding alongside that, which is already a big load, we're adding generative AI. And the AP has a story that estimates that 500 milliliters of water for every five to 50 prompts is how much they're consuming to cool the data center. Also, it's reported that Google has had a 20% increase in their water usage, which has been partially linked to their AI work at different locations. Unfortunately, where one of OpenAI's primary data centers is at 
is experiencing a drought at the moment. So the fact that they're consuming significantly more water at their data center there has actually become a pretty big local story. And some of the best reporting on this is actually the the local press because they really are following it. The AP has a very high-level story that really just raises the concerns of the amount of water and power being used for generative AI. I like this story because I think it shows what a bunch of hypocrites everybody is. They're all a bunch of monkeys that just get upset at what they're told to get upset about. And this story rubs it in their damn faces, and I love it. After hearing for years that Bitcoin boils the ocean, I never heard those same people raise the concerns of the environmental impact of ChatGPT responding poorly to stupid questions and what the value of that was. One is a totally independent, open-source, free monetary system that is outside the control of any state, provable by math, and the other gives you 40% stupid answers for a gimmicky chatbot. But we, we, we don't ask the power or water requirements of one, but we ask the power requirements of another without any understanding of how the power market works or how one can actually be a load additive and one is just a consumer. But, you know, it's fine. And there's going to be a way to recycle the water vapor and stuff eventually, right? There better be because, you know, it's not just ChatGPT. It's all it, data centers. It's all of them. It's all, it's yeah. all data centers. It's all data centers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really all large industry. Uh-huh. Why do you think the old mills were next to freaking rivers, right? Like I was watching a YouTube video of a uh, aluminum mill and uh, they keep that smelter going 24 seven. And because it's so hot, they don't keep it ramped at max, but they have to keep it running. So they always have to keep it cool. So they're running water 24 seven, even when they're not making anything. Absolutely. Just blasting water and, and, and polluting it with stuff. Yeah. We got to solve that recapture thing across industry as well. But, I honestly do want to raise the question, is it worth it? Uh, I, I don't, I'm not saying get rid of chat GPT. I'm, I'm thinking, is it worth it that we're baking this into everything? Uh, there's a web app I use now where you input a prompt and it, it, they've now, they've switched it to like chat GPT powered. And so it is, you can use natural language, which is handy. And then it sits there and chugs for like 45 seconds after you're done typing or every time it detects like 10 seconds of inactivity. So it does this several times. Uh, and then it tries to like generate all the extra things you could add. So it's basically doing an open AI API call, looking at what I typed, and then trying to drive a bunch of other suggestions that are kind of like obvious suggestions. And it's doing this every time I take a 10-second break. Mm. And like the Bing search, right? It's it's generating all of this. And Google also, my, I'm, I'm signed up for the Google beta. So when you do a Google search, it really kind of awfully, it it drops down the screen. So your Google search goes to the bottom of the screen. And what fills the top of the screen is generative barred search results that come up. And then you get the then you have to scroll the whole page to get the search results. I, I don't, I don't know that there's value when you look at just the absolute maximum impact, every little thing. Like sometimes I just go to these search engines to spell check. and then They're running a generative AI research based on like some word I typed in to make sure I'd spelled it right. It's, it's just ludicrous. The sad part is how many times has uh, Google or I guess not DuckDuckGo to primarily use, but me like not knowing. Do you know how bad I am with directions? Oh, yeah. It's pathetic. I'm always having to put things in maps. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking how many times has like a large language model gotten me to the post office in the last two months? And how much energy has that used, right? I am also, I boy, t- before, before maps on the phone. Oh, oh. 
Yeah, I'm not trying to pick or, or I'm not trying to pick what technology lives or dies here necessarily. Other than I was just trying to point out that we just sort of like sheep are told to ask questions about one technology stack. We don't ask questions about the other. And then we just sort of blindly hype into it. And then we have to figure out, okay, well, now that we're using all this water, how are we going to do that better? Instead of figuring out how to do it better before we jump in. That would be too easy. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is our nature, I suppose, right? Boost gray. All right, we got just a few boosts in this episode, and uh, Cairo's, or Cairo Barreros comes in, I hope I got that right, with our baller boost this week, 50,000 sats. Hey, rich lifestyle! Uh, he loves that we covered that uh, new user who got uh, the apt get command for Red Hat Box from ChatGPT. He said, could you imagine if Elon Musk created a website to compete with YouTube called X Videos? <laughs> uh, third, if I lose my job tomorrow and I couldn't do anything uh, in in tech, I'd probably go back to my original career as a musician. But talk about a career where it's hard to make a decent earning. Indeed. I think that's our first musician. I don't think anybody else has said that. We'll make us a song. Yeah. Ben came in with 32,674 sats. Uh, he says, here's my monthly boost. If I wasn't a dev anymore, I'd probably be a commercial pilot. In fact, I'm planning on making that exact career change. Not because I hate coding. I don't. It's the meetings and the business, and the grind of all of it that wears me out. My vision of the future is one where I fly for a living, enjoy my 14 days off a month, and work on side projects or light consulting that energizes me. That does sound nice. And man, do they need pilots. I would love to fly. I would totally take that job. Oh, man. If I got on an airplane and saw you were the pilot, <laughs> you would get your right sense off. of direction and your other proclivities. <laughs> and my other proclivities. <laughs> You don't like the pilot having a nice aviation cocktail, right? right well, cocktail. I guess I don't. I don't want you doing it sober either. So I don't know. <laughs> I just don't want to be in that position. Where are we flying to? Well, we're flying to Cupertino because I broke another iPhone. <laughs> uh, ben also gives a shout out to YTCC. It's a command line podcast tool that he's been using. Uh, since it's been a pick on one of the JB shows about two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I just used that the other day when I wanted to download a batch. Why not? YTCC if you just want to grab a batch of them. The Dobstopper came in with 2,000 sats and says, If I didn't go into tech, I'd have followed my dad and been an electrician. I also thought about auto mechanic, but I heard cars are computer controlled now, so you basically have to work with the manufacturer, and you're just climbing up a hill on rollerblades. So you're basically back in a tech job diagnosing a computer. And that isn't even considering electric cars. Yeah, no kidding. With my car that uh, now has the flat tire, uh, anything, anything I want to get done, I have to hook it up to a diagnostic computer. And it has to be a fancier one than just the pleb one I can get off Amazon uh, to get the codes. And then it is essentially a, an electrical problem most of the time, usually some sort of sensor or some wire. It's more often wires and sensors than it is mechanical these days. Yep. <laughs> I still, I still don't mind it because I find it cool that it is an enclosed portable system it is an entire system you know both electronic and mechanical so i kind of dig that part of it but it, it is it's just getting worse i don't think i'd be able to buy a brand new car and work on it like i do these older cars and they're only from you know 2012 2013 timer they're not that old but they're old enough well, at least your car can't steal itself yet so that's good yeah or spy on your uh, sexual orientation or any of that that was also going around recently you know what i'm realizing that yeah that's gonna start happening right where the car's like i've been listening to what you've been playing oh yeah no, and no. I, I and i have some ideas 
everything it can. I mean, it's basically the more they become a smartphone, the more information they collect on you. Uh, and, you know, auto manufacturers are not going to have the same standards or scrutiny that Google or Apple do. They already don't. I mean, how many people died with the GM sample thing? It's horrible. Uh, and, and and I can prove this. You mentioned sexual orientation. Because of my love of Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, I literally for two years convinced Apple Music that I was gay. And I kept started recommending playlists, generated playlists called Gay Pride Boys and things like that. I am not joking at all. <laughs> can you imagine the ads that would come up on my heads up display in the car? Well, I, I mean, I'm not kidding either. It's uh, it came out Nissan and Kia can collect uh, drivers sexual activity and sex lives in their uh, privacy policy. Jesus. It's actually in there, I guess. Although I bet Grindr's hiring. I'm I'm blown away by this. I'm really uh, this is really incredible. I'll put a link in the show notes. If people want to read more. I saw it going around in our chat room, too. What possible reason could Kia have for that? I, Advertising? Ugh, does everything have to be in, all roads lead to ad platform? Yeah, that's it. Really it. Is. That's, that's it. it. That's why we're thankful and grateful for the boosters helping us do this by being funded by the audience. If you got some value out of this episode or you enjoyed it or just want to send a little love back, please consider boosting. We had 10 boosters total across the last two episodes. In the last two episodes, we brought in 172,896 sats. So, I that which kind covered. That puts us in the red. So if you'd like to step up and boost the show, we would appreciate it. It's a great way to support. Or you can become a member at coderqa.co and support the show directly each month that way. <laughs> Mr. Dominic, we did it. This is the end of our double session. Then we're going to be back or we'll be doing another double session. But there will have been uh, quite a bit of time. So we'll have a lot to talk about, I imagine. We will. Next week, we're going to talk about Unity's new bullshit pricing scheme. Oh. <laughs> you know how to tease. You know? You know how to tease. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm applying for that job at Grinder as we speak. So Yeah, I hear, I hear they have some openings. <laughs> hmm. Is there anywhere you want to send people? Uh, go to DominicM.com or Alice.dev. I guess you could follow me at WeaponX at Dumanuko. There you go. I'm at Chris LES over there. And, of course, our chat room's going all week long at coder.show slash matrix. And links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 536. Our RSS feed's over there. Our contact page is over there. And our live calendar, that's at jupiterbroadcasting.com. you also find a whole great network of podcasts over there, like the Linux Unplugged Show and self-hosted and office hours popping off all the time. Why not just subscribe to the All Shows feed? Then you don't have to worry about it. Live times, what shows are coming out, you just get them all when they come out. Should mention that more often. We got an all shows feed. You can subscribe to that. You should do it already. Why aren't you doing it already? JupiterBroadcasting.com. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. See you right back here next week. <laughs>